0: Life Happens with Pimelo Modine.
1: Thank you so much for staying with us. It's 19 minutes after one. You're on Life Happens right here on SAFM. My name is Pimelo Modine. Now, I came across this thread that I thought, my goodness, this is um, unpacking quite a bit. And of course, this comes on the back of what we are seeing as the just. I don't know. I don't know if it's a bubble, but we're seeing some movement and intolerance of of gender based violence and the the voices are getting louder and louder. And I've been having conversations with friends, male friends of mine, because I don't think I fully understand what's happening and why it's happening. So I really relished when I saw this thread because I thought, ah, Spot on. This is the kind of conversation I've been having with my friends privately. But really this is a thread that started unpacking layers because I think there are layers to this whole thing. Song as a CB who is at this point in time is not talking to us wearing his professional hat. I think this is more of a personal thread. So we're not going to talk about his particular role now that he's holding at some bank. We're going to talk about the fact that he's an author and he's a former editor. But you know, you get the point. But Songizo, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the thread to start off with. Thank you. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Pimera, and good afternoon to my brother Rams, uh, whom I call commissar. Uh, Keda, good afternoon is still, <laughs> I'm assuming that he's still on the line and i I also know about his uh, excellent work uh that that he does trying to to help raise better men in our community and I was listening, and I think that that small button that he was talking about mm. I think people should click ah. should click that small button because. Uh,
1: Ryan is doing excellent work for it our is. country. Absolutely. So so I have been on this conversation, private conversations with, with guys who, who I think are sensible. You know, we all know sensible people. And I've, I'm kind of trying to um, hear differently. I'm trying to understand differently. And your thread was for me quite compelling because what you are doing there is to self-reflect, I think. And start seeing yep. things and, and ask yourself, is, is this what this was? Talk to me about the thread. And number one, let's also ask you, because I think this was quite, um, it's a sensitive matter. And you were, you're putting yourself out there. Just the idea of putting out the thread. So you could have had a private conversation with a friend, but you chose to go on a social platform to do this. Why?
0: thanks well, one the the reason is that i've been having the same conversations with friends <laughs> private conversations with friends, and I think i I make that reference early on in yes. the thread, in the first tweet that i that I send out and the question that i've been asking myself is is what really makes men become so violent towards women now i'd examined some of this in the book that I published some years ago, I've got a chapter on violence. One of the things that struck me was that men are generally violent. So if you look at other victims, at it, it, all victims of violence, murder, attempted murder, assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, where the victims are male, the perpetrators are male. So if men are that violent to one another, there really, really is no chance for women at all, because they're just as violent, if not more, with women. So you've got a violent male species in South Africa Mm. for some reason, and I think I've got an idea of what some of those reasons are. Mm. But then there is a particular question for me I've always heard about why men perpetrate so much violence and murder women and rape women um, when they themselves have women in their family. They are born of mothers, they have sisters, and often they swear that they would kill anyone who would dare touch their sister, but then they go and do exactly the thing they would kill someone else for doing against somebody who doesn't belong to their family. That doesn't make sense, and I think it's important that we try and understand why. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the conclusions I've reached, and it was not just with his threat, it's something I've been reflecting on for years, is that we grow up in a society that tells you that to prove your manhood and to end respect, you've got to show competence for making out violence to others to other men. So even the argument that says if you have to prove that you're a man, go and fight with other men. Actually why? <laughs> why so, should you go and fight with other men?
1: You know this that's So that's the
0: society me. we grow up in.
1: That struck a chord with me because, and Rams, I want you to come in here because I then had a conversation. I was having a conversation along the same veins with a, with a friend, male friend, who who said to me, yeah, but, you know, violence has always been around, particularly gender-based violence has always been around. Many of us have grown up in its presence. And then my subsequent question to him was, connect the dots for me. If if you've gone around and and, and grew up around violence... What makes you choose not to be a perpetrator? Because a lot of people who end up perpetrating violence reflect their past as the reason they continue to do that. So at which point did you realize this is wrong? And it comes back to some of the things you've said on the, on the thread, Songezo, in the sense that do, do, you, do boys and men always know that it's criminal?
0: Uh, so I uh, oh sorry, Rams. Sorry,
1: Rams. Go ahead. I think you. you I mean, I even in your
2: work from from Songezo. Songezo wrote a beautiful thread, and I. I mean, and he's a, Let me tell you, he's a much better thinker than I am. I'm just some guy who dabbles in stuff. But you know, I think it's just this stupid sense of wanting to belong. The sense of belonging is the ego of wanting to belong. So we will continue to do, to do what is wrong because I want to be like my mate. I can't be the different guy. I can't be the one who's, you know, that, that line, don't be that guy, which is why we, we came with this slogan, be that guy, actually. Yeah. Be the different guy. So at some point, as we grow and mature, well, we have to make a, a conscious choice to be that guy. When, when we were not that guy, it was not a conscious, it was an ego thing. It was like, I, I cannot be seen not to be involved in, in gang rape, as someone wrote about it mm. this morning. Mm. I cannot be seen not to be in, drinking and skipping class, smoking, taking a puff from a cigarette, and I end up being a, you know, an, an addicted smoker or whatever it is. But we knew it was wrong. What was the biggest battle was the ego of, of wanting to be law. I think that's my
1: reading. of office. Yeah. You know, and um, the response I got from the gentleman who I was talking about earlier, his response was, even though I grew up around violence, I was also lucky enough to grow up in a neighborhood where victimizing the smaller or a woman was just not cool. So there were violent men, but we were violent to one another. But it wasn't cool for you to beat a girl and then come back and tell us that you've beat up a girl and you, and you, and you think you're going to get street cred. It didn't work like that. So that was his reasons for not becoming that guy. But tell me about, I mean, I'm trying to connect the dots here. Is that maybe where the problem is, as Rams was saying, that ego is everything, you know, you want to belong. And if, if it's cool to be the perpetrator, then of course we're going to have a society like this.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's part of it, Timela, because when you grow up seeing things being done, they feel normal to you. Mm. So I grew up seeing the tail end of Ukutwala, where a woman was abducted, married off to somebody that she had never met, and that person would invariably then force themselves upon the woman because they were now his wife, and they would have kids, and that was normal. So there is a layer where especially the gender-based violence is normalized and I think the boy child over time gets to know that this is normal. I I witnessed a case where when I was younger, in growing up in the Eastern Cape, we saw a young woman being abducted and beaten up with box because she was resisting and being young, we were about Nine, ten. we ran and called older people, older men who ran off to, to try and help because they thought these gentlemen were, were raping the woman and when they got there, they inquired what's going on. So these guys explained that, no, siam am yeah, but she's resisting. Oh, they were like oh, no, oh, but don't resist. Why are you resisting? This is why they're beating you up. Oh my god. So there is a layer where this is normalized as you grow up because well, if the woman stops resisting, she's not going to get beaten up. That's a subliminal message that you get as a child, even though you're not beating up the girl because you had a dispute with her. Mm. So there's still violence in the system anyway. So this is deep, and I think that Pimera, until we are honest and accept that mm. uh, the way we are raised, aspects of our community's raised and what is accepted and what is not, inculcates a violent attitude towards other human beings but in particular against women. <laughs> We've gotta accept that if we are to deal with the problem. Yes, it's a law enforcement issue, but you know what? Actually let's look at ourselves and our communities and the cultural and other practices that we accept as normal for the areas in which the most fundamental changes need to take place. And those changes can only a moral change. That all of us have to, the moral choices that all of us have to take to say our culture and our mores cannot encourage this kind of thinking anymore. We choose to encourage a different thinking.
1: I'm going to ask uh, to open the lines and I'm going to ask you to, to give us a call on 891 104207 your comments. And you, uh, we've, we're going to post a thread. It's quite a long thread, so I'm going to, not going to read all of it out. But my guests are Songhez uh, Zozibi who has penned this really incredible thread that I thought we need to reflect on. And uh, we, we've kept um, our, our friend there from uh, Future Kings. I mean, remember we spoke just a little bit earlier about a campaign he started. Uh, Let's go 5050. Please go in this particular time. Go there and go do something about it. Just donate. Um, he's still in this conversation with us. And I'd love your take on this. It's 1.30. Let's go to Utsi Lesaiko for the latest in headlines.
0: On
1: okay, my guest is Songhez Ozibi. And we are talking about a threat that he penned earlier on today um, that's really just starting to peel off the layers of what is happening in our country. In our country. Dealing a little bit with gender-based violence, but... As, as I said, I think there are many layers to this, and he's starting to ask us, at which point have we started reflecting as society, uh, reflecting on, on our cultures, on our practices, and and what we believe to be our value systems, interrogated those and how they're affecting how we behave right now. I've asked Ramsma to stay with us on this conversation because he's also doing a lot of work shaping the minds of young people, and I think it's key at this point when you are you know mentoring young people what kind of messages go through that's why i asked him to stay because i wondered when he engages with young people what kind of things go through their minds Rams, do you want to reflect on what song said before we went to the headlines
2: no i just have a heavy heart because he really has reminded me of how violence has become so normalized you know I I can only speak about the environment I grew up in, which is probably not different from our own, your environment and as Of Growing up in a house, not mine, but I'm seeing people growing up in households where it was okay for the dead to beat up the mom mm-hmm. or for the dead to pick up the next door neighbor dead, you know, after a drink or something. It was okay for men to just fight for whatever reason, whether they were throwing dice or for something seemingly serious. So it became normalized. Violence became who we were. Then, of course, we had a system called a which was a violent system. So, also politically violence was institutionalized and formalized. So, we just lived a, a violent life and that's how we solve things. That's how we deal with things. That's how even a dad tells his five-year-old boy, I'm going away to take care of mom and if the Tzotis come here, kill them. I mean, a five-year-old for starters, what is a five-year-old going to do but telling that language to a five-year-old about killing the Tzotis? That's
1: where we come from, certainly. You know, Song, you just said something earlier around how there are certain things in our cultures in our values where we, it's okay, be violent because this particular reason is, is, a, is, a, is a decent enough reason for you to be violent. Oh, no, man, you know, accept. And so they wouldn't beat you up if you didn't accept. But what we're also not talking about is how that narrative would be carried through. To a woman who says uh, to their other women in the family, he beats me up, and they would say to her, No, man, Ay, stop now the drama. Just be, you know, do what you need to do. You know, Linyalo is, is, is Sankrescent and all of that stuff. Ay, Oscar, tlabisaditru. Song ezo?
0: Yeah, well, there, there is that, but it it gets to extremes, right? Where where women are also do not defend uh, victims of sexual violence. So I I related. I used a word called uh, yesterday, which is something I learned in my first year of boarding school, the school I went to for one year in Mutata, and I'm glad that some people went to the same school, uh, responded and confirmed the mm. the phenomenon uh, as having been happening. But what would then happen is that if the woman gets gang raped or raped, questions would be asked about the girl. What was she doing with those guys? Why did she drink? Why did she go with them? Well, why shouldn't she go with them? Why is it a fault that she was raped, that she was gang raped, that she was uh, applied with alcohol until she couldn't defend herself? And so, so you find that Even some of the questions that would get asked in the name calling doesn't just come from men or boys who make fun of the victim, but other girls do not defend them because why did she put herself in that condition? Now, this is 1990, 30 years ago. I was 14 years old then. That same pattern of behavior is still continuing even now where we question the victim Again, and we say, but why did she put herself in that position? So, you see what I mean about having to look within and the conscious choices we have to make, and accept that as a guy, it's incredibly difficult for me because it means unlearning language mm. and unlearning intuition. Because intuitively, you want to think in a certain way, mm. so you have to stop yourself all the time mm. from thinking in the way that you are accustomed to because it's incredibly hard. But I think it would be a lot less harder if there were a lot more of us having an open conversation about, in a conversation where we confess about our complicity through, through pretending that things were not happening. You sit in a conversation and you say nothing because you were not there, so you're gonna pretend you didn't hear what you did.
1: So you said you, you were reflecting and you've been reflecting for a while. Having thought about all of this, where do we begin in confronting this? Because it's it's hard truths. You know, it's not a simple march. I don't think it's a simple march. I don't think it's a simple, you know, calling out or a hashtag. It's it's not. And so then where do we go? Where do we begin with this kind of healing and fixing the problem?
0: I, I think when, I, when I've been reflecting, I've been reflecting for years and wrote a couple of chapters in, in my book. One of the things I say in that is, is that we need to also change the, our understanding of the responsibilities of political and community leadership. For mm. so as long as politicians and other prominent people, including church leaders and so on, make this a law enforcement problem, mm. we are never going to have the right kind of the right kind of attitude now i'd really like for altar calls in church to be about different things sometimes i know it's important to save souls but maybe it is important to challenge men in the congregation who want to change the way they think and so on to step up to the stage and ask for prayers because they need help to do that that's when we are going to start seeing the change. But when it's just a pastor that is preaching and saying how this is against God, it doesn't quite change the way we think, because lots of things get said in church. We shouldn't steal, we shouldn't do all of the things, and we do them. And until the practice of leadership is about driving real change, we're possibly never going to get there. So we need to get into the really sensitive spaces and normalize these conversations, because when you go to church, this is spoken about in the right way when you go to political to political gatherings, this is spoken about in the right way, and it becomes part of how we evaluate people for the suitability of leadership because they set an example for the rest of us
1: it 's a tough one, and i 'll tell you why it 's very tough because and and this is why I find the the spaces in which one has to engage with these things is tough because oftentimes it's intimate spaces. And yeah. after you you call out or you call the police or you go to court and do the public stuff, there is still the intimate space to deal with. And we don't talk yeah. about, to so to at what cost did you get to do that? Because we don't follow up on the person who was the person who stood in court and testified against the other and what that cost him. And whether it's a friend, whether it's isolation, whatever yeah. it is, we we don't do that work. And yet we are very quick to say, well, speak up and speak up and speak up. Your reflections on that?
0: You're talking about witnesses. In fact, the victim, all of us will say yeah. on Twitter a person must go and lay a charge. Yeah. We won't even ask about their mm-hmm. personal circumstances, mm-hmm. about whether they're going to have a place to sleep that very night if mm-hmm. they go and, and lay a charge. We don't do that. and And that's why... I think the first reflection has to be on us. The second thing is that the community and state infrastructure in terms of how we police and we, the criminal justice system uh, responds to gender-based violence and violence against children in particular has got to be a comprehensive package whose sole aim is to offer protection and, uh, and safety to the victims because we encourage people to go to a police station to report a crime and then we release them onto the streets to go into the same house
2: mm-hmm. where
0: they feel under threat to deal with the same family and so on. So this thinking even informs and distorts the manner in which state resources are deployed in order to deal with the problem at a criminal justice level. But I think if the policymakers themselves were applying themselves differently to these questions, we as society would also learn differently uh, in terms of how we respond and we and we support because going to the police station is often harrowing for victims Mm -hmm. i've been there for a friend Mm -hmm. who got arrested Mm -hmm. when she brought in the evidence from a doctor that she had been assaulted simply because her husband her now ex-husband had been there after she had been there to lay a charge Mm -hmm. against her they did not arrest him they arrested her Mm -hmm. And we say victims must go to a police station. It's incredibly difficult for them. And if I hadn't had that experience with somebody who's very close to me, I probably would still be saying, why don't you go to a police station and report it? Mm-hmm.
1: I know we've got to let you go. So, thank uh, you. Think,
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks, so much.
1: No, go ahead. I, I I I believe that you have to go, and so I, I am going to stick to that because next time I call you, you're going to say I can't come. Thank <laughs> you, thank you so much. No, I really appreciate it. No, thank
0: you very much, Thanks. Thank you for the time.
1: Thanks, as so you, thank you and uh, we were just reflecting on a tweet that he sent out. I just we we're going to retweet it so that you can have a look, Rams. I often have a problem with the reactive nature in which we are dealing with this. And that's why I like the work that you do, because I suppose we we need to also start being more proactive than reactive. I really don't want to deal with the case after the fact. I want us to not have it happen. When you deal with these young kids um, that you work with at Future Kings, is it sinking in, Rams?
2: Let me start on on a lighter note. Do you know what just happened now? You, you just made the world feel like some it's a easy one. Rams can stick to the interview forever. And no, but this is your work. This is your I'm life's kidding, work. I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: I know that you, this is your life's work. You will drop everything for future kids. <laughs> we we know this, okay? So, yeah, you know, it's tough need, being a hero. To
2: it's tough being a hero. <laughs> <laughs> An
1: angel with wings, eh? It's tough, my friend. <laughs>
2: You know, I I I, uh, I need to share with you a story. So, a camp we had last year, I invited a friend of mine who's who's also a, a teacher. You know, uh, his name is Kauwaka Ramanti, and he he then spoke to these boys about decision making. And and at the beginning, you know, they were flippant. You know, he would ask them he asked them about what is the one crime that is that cannot be excused. You know, they tried everything I mean, from, he, he was dismissing, they would say murder and he would tell them why murder could be defended in, in court and, and whatever. But nobody, nobody mentioned rape. And when he said to them, the one crime that you could never have defended for is rape because you always had the opportunity to take a decision not to do it, because his subject is decision-making. I mean, I looked mm. at those boys' faces And I saw it sink in because for a while they were not thinking and they were not taking responsibility for the decisions that they make every time. Because you said in an instant, in an instant, you can shoot somebody because you thought you were being attacked. Yes. But rape doesn't happen that way. It's a decision you make, even with your own partner. When they decide they don't want to have sex anymore and you continue, it's a decision that you make. I will never forget that that lesson he gave to the police. So I see them, I see them be moved, I see them talk about it after that. I see them debating among themselves and, and it, it's marvelous. I mean and that's the narratives we are interested in. Because we know when we're not there they're exposed to normal. See that song you spoke about. They, they, they're exposed to the, the horrors of wanting to belong. Mm. But we want to give them new narrative to say, actually, it's in your hands to become a different mm. person. Ah,
1: mm. oh, Rams, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the work that you do. And uh, we're definitely going to be donating to that fund. Thank you very, very much for making the time to talk to us.
2: Thank you, my dear friend. Thank you for me. I've got another interview. <laughs>
1: bye, Rams. Oh, <laughs> bye bye. If it's for future kings, absolutely go ahead. Bye-bye. <laughs>